Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 85. We also invite you to join our private Facebook group. To receive an invitation, send an email to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com and tell us your biggest need or problem when it comes to Christianity. We'll get an invitation right out to you. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. So Second Opinions was the discussion topic for last week. And thinking about that a little bit more, we actually was triggered by, there was a podcast, I listened to part of it, I didn't get all the way through it, over at the God Journey, and the podcast, it was something about uh, listening to your yuck meter. And this is a, a term that Wayne Jacobson has coined, and it it reminded me of some, he's done a few podcasts on this term, but he he kind of, so you were kind of framing the conversation that we were having around, you know, things that don't make sense to us. You know, we go get a second opinion. He's framing the conversation more of when things don't strike you as being right or they strike you as a little yuck, that that you should listen to that and that perhaps it's the Holy Spirit actually telling you, yeah, that's kind of wacky. So... I don't know if that adds another dimension to the conversation we were having, but it was just this idea that what he's suggesting sounds so suspect given my background and kind of the way the deck is stacked in evangelical Christianity against, yeah, I know you'll love this, you know, listening to our experience or the experience that we're having, which is, eh, this this smells kind of stinky, but... You know, this Bible verse says you have to do it, so you just have to, you know, just, you know, just buckle down and do it, because the Bible says so. Right. So, I don't know if that does anything for you, but that was just something I was thinking about in relation to the last conversation we were having. Yeah, well, I think you make a really good point, because I think, I mean, I I value what Wayne's putting out there, but obviously that's a sense that needs to be developed, right? That something isn't right. And I think part of what I've been writing about over the last five, six blog posts is that there's almost a, almost two sets of rules or two sets of like a, two sets of filters that, that Christians will use. There's the, there's the regular everyday filter, you know, this is about whatever. It's about my job. It's about this or that. And I'm not saying that Christians don't apply their Christian thinking, or their, you know, the uh, implications of their faith to, you know, everyday life. They do, but but sometimes it's it's really overt. You know, it's just it's it's overt. It's in your face. It's it's a challenge, right? It's not how should I respond to this out of my faith. It's this is challenging my faith, or this is threatening my faith. Even worse, what do I do about that? And in those types of situations, my hunch is that this kind of yuck meter idea from Wayne is going to it's going to have no purchase for most people because you may think really yuck on an everyday level but you've got this other filter that's being applied how do you get around that 
specifically, unless you've got some training or background, unless your church has taught you how to integrate, you know, your faith and real life in some pretty healthy and robust ways, I think people are generally hamstrung. And I, I mean, I see that, man, I see that all the time in the little town that I live in. I, I, people that I think are generally some pretty good people, but, but put them in specific situations where either their faith is challenged or they think that they have some sort of a, a specifically Christian responsibility. So a responsibility to answer in, in a particularly Christian way. And I've, I've seen, actually, I had another situation and it was, I felt like I got punched in the gut. I, I just could not, I was completely shocked by how uh, overwhelmed I felt to learn about this situation, about this family who had been ostracized from a church um, for um, reasons I, I, I won't go into, but which I think uh, certainly did not merit anything like what they received. And uh, I think this is what happens when, you know, on the one hand, you may think, oh, gee, I, at, at a certain everyday sort of way of thinking or level, this doesn't make a lot of sense here. I, I might be overreacting. But on a Christian level, it's like, no, 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 this is... This is about my faith and this is about defending or protecting or, you know, ensuring that, that something about God's truth is, is treated well or is observed. And uh, it'd be really interesting to talk with Wayne about that. I mean, did he I – di- I didn't read the, the posts but or listen to the podcast, but did he kind of cover anything about what happens in those types of situations? I don't remember. I I listened to just the first part of it. It was more what triggered it for me was just seeing the title of it in my little podcast player, and I was like, "Oh uh, yeah, he's got this idea that he's talked about in the past." So I'd have to go back and listen to the specifics. But, okay, but to be more practical about it, so how? So you're 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 saying that there's this there are a lot of people that haven't had the training or or don't like how does someone develop this. Oh man. man! How does someone develop this? Like how? Do, like someone listening to this is just like, okay, well, thanks a lot, guys. So you're telling me that <laughs> that that you know that I need to have more discernment. But how do I have this discernment? How do I sort out? Like, where? Yeah. How do I start sorting some of this stuff out? Okay, stop, 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 stop. First of all, this is not discernment. Like, let's why not? Uh, be, well, because that word in a Christian context has a meaning. It means kind of like you go and ask somebody who's a who's a Christian, whose Christian life you respect, and you pray and you read the Bible. And oh, you that's consider. not what I'm saying. No, okay. I'm- <laughs> and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but you know what? If you keep going, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same results. Yeah, no, no. But discernment, I just may make a wise decision. Okay. You, I, I'm saying act wisely. So, no, it doesn't carry all that other freight with me. <laughs> I, well, I didn't think so, but I... <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I'm saying, okay, so I'm reading a book that I think is something just feels disgusting about the presentation or what I'm being admonished to do or what all Christians, quote, should do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, eh, this is gross or something just feels gross about this. I'm saying, okay, I'm reading this, I feel a little gross. 
the discernment part of is what do I do now? Do I listen to that? How do I know whether to listen to it or not? Or yeah. In other words, what what are some practical first steps that people could take? I mean, I hate to make it more difficult when you're looking to find solutions, but I think that it gets a lot more difficult because oftentimes we we don't have that kind of um, that alarm bell isn't going off for us. You know, we've been taught certain things. We've been taught that, you know, in definitely the church I grew up in, if your faith was being threatened or challenged uh, or if somebody was acting in a way that was compromising God's truth. And I know my first response, if I heard somebody say that and even hearing myself say it is, what does that mean? I don't really know what that means, which is part of another part of the problem. But I think it was something like if somebody's actively sinning or somebody's actively doing something that would be highly questionable, that your only, your main priority is just to kind of, you know, go against that, to not align yourself with that, to speak out against it, to do what you can to preserve God's truth or preserve, you know, Christian values or what have you. And I do think there's a point to all that. I do think there is a need for some of what I've just mentioned, but I think that often it's far more subtle than the black and white enormous paintbrush that most churches equip their parishioners with in order to deal with something like that. So there's that on the one hand. Like I don't think that alarm bell goes off nearly enough. But if it is going off, I think part of the problem is, and I I didn't think that when you were using discernment, I I, I knew that, I knew, but I didn't say I knew. I, I guessed very much that you weren't using it that way, right? But, but for in a Christian context, discernment does mean that. Go, go and ask somebody, like perhaps your pastor or an elder, somebody you respect, whose Christian life you respect, and then go and read the Bible. And, and all of these things are good. But the problem is you may well have learned, and I'm suggesting indeed many Christians have learned, bad ways of approaching these things from their churches, from their Bible reading. So it doesn't make any sense. And this is my whole point about, you know, second opinions. Second opinions means why not go to the, why not go to somebody who goes to another church or pastor from a different denomination? Why not go outside of what you've got? Why not look to books that you wouldn't normally read or that you haven't been kind of funneled into in terms of whatever may be in your church library or whatever names are coming up in casual conversation in get-togethers with Christian people, right? Look on Amazon. Look for the reviews. Now, that can be problematic too, right? We reviewed Not a Fan, and I would heartily recommend against it. But on Amazon, it's scoring some huge stats. So again, I think some of this is really um, – there's a culture that's been bred – and trying to get underneath that culture is very difficult. I would say that the first the first step to do on a practical level is recognize that this is an extremely difficult thing to do. It's extremely difficult to be aware of your own perspectives and then to be able to draw those into question and to be able to excavate. Almost like an archaeological dig. You're going in to excavate and figure out where did these come from? How did I get these views in the first place? And by the way, the idea that, you know, I can go back to the Bible and that's going to help me. Well, yes and no. I think the Bible is ultimately helpful. It's not, you know, poorly put together, misleading, or just, you know, badly edited. It's 
And those are all things that various scholars at different points have said about it. I don't believe those things to be true. I think there's enough argument to show the opposite. But I do think that when I go to the Bible, it's always me going. It's always me going with the skills that I've already learned, but not with the other skills that I might need. So how do I develop those? Well, I think we need to be in broader conversation with other people. But I think the only thing that I would say right off the bat is to believe this is easy is to believe, I think, is to be deeply and, and, and <laughs> sorely misled. This is extremely tough. You know, I would hope there'd be more resources for, for people to, to access and people for them to go to. And, and, you know, it's part of my speculation about that. Uh, when I wrote that most recent blog post, does your faith need a second opinion? Where would you go? And how would you be able to assess it? And all of that, I guess, is part of a cultural shift that I'm, you know, without realizing it, I guess, up until recently that I, I've been proposing uh, in terms of Christianity. I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm wondering what you're thinking. I don't know. I just feel like we're just stating the obvious here. There's a problem. It's, I'm like, okay, well, what's some practical ways to solve it? And you're just like, oh, it's really hard. And I don't know. It feels kind of hopeless to me. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's good to admit. It does feel hopeless, right? And it is freaking hard. And maybe the first thing to do, it's like, but... Why should this be less of a, uh, this is going to sound absolutely scandalous, and I'm just going to say it. If it's a cultural issue, if it's embedded within certain streams of Christianity, I'm not going to say within one denomination more than another, but broadly speaking, if this is a trait of evangelical Christianity, broadly speaking, and then it's a culture, why should this be more, less difficult to, 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 to dislodge than an addiction? Christians are dedicated to something, but I think what's gotten mixed up here is the dedication towards an entity who is presented through a text and hopefully embodied individually and communally, and all of the trappings and understandings and ways of seeing the world and seeing ourselves that have become intertwined with that. There's a huge process of itemizing these things. And, when, and itemizing them is not beginning the process of getting out the scalpel and trying to say, you know what? I think this piece just does not belong. I'm going to try to cut that out. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you want to come back to me and say that's, that's, that's overblown. But, you know, a lot of people go through addiction rehab processes and uh, they do it because their lives have collapsed, right? There are a lot of people who seem, you know, in quotation marks, seem quite, I don't know, wouldn't say happy, but content or something to stay in those addicted ways of being. And then something happens. And uh, I remember watching a movie about addiction, uh, Sandra Bullock and Steve Buscemi. And Buscemi says to Bullock, you know, um, something happened and something happened and something happened and something happened related to his alcoholism. And he woke, woke up, you know, in the in the street and he realized this wasn't a way to live. It's a way to die. And I think when things really hit us, you know, when it's not just a matter of, ah, oh, yeah, my, my, my alarm bell is going off here. But when you don't have any clue, when everything seems like it's going okay, but then, you know, all of a sudden you see, oh, gee, like in my town here, people are getting alienated. 
And they're getting alienated by the same group of people, by the same couple of people who are very influential in a particular church. And I've seen this, I've, this is four, four couples, I've seen this now. And it's, it's, it's very dismaying, right? But, but is some of that going to change for those people who are doing the alienating? Probably not until they're aware of it, until it really strikes them and they realize this is not a way to live. And it's not a way for them to help other people live. So, I don't know. So would Talk you say it's me. a commitment to the wrong? What I hear you saying is is that Christians are pot- potentially committed to the wrong thing. Absolutely. Or without dedicated knowing it. to the wrong thing. Yeah, without knowing it. But, I mean, come back to your whole thing about ownership. Honestly, when you walked into a church, let's say, I know that you went into a couple of churches and we don't have to pick on those churches in particular, but just as an example, what gives you a sense that somebody is an owner of their own faith? How long does it take you to figure that out? Ooh, I say it all depends. Hey, on what? How personal it is? Like how, that's a hard question to answer. How... I think I would be measuring it based on, you know, how much they're talking from personal experience versus third-party reference. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is also where it gets murky for me a little bit because some people that, you know, I would totally disagree with on their theological beliefs, uh, w- you know, also have, you know, these personal experiences of God just completely meeting their needs and totally being present in their lives. Yeah, I mean, it's a... Uh, and what, what would you take from that? Uh, <laughs> the same place I always end up with, which is, I don't know, I guess I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Right, but in terms of... Well, I guess what I'm going for, what I'm looking at by asking you the question about ownership is, my hunch is, if, if Christians are committed to the wrong things that the people who are going to have the chance of moving out of those wrong commitments and towards better commitments or the worse commitments to better commitments, let's say, are likely going to be people who have a, a, a greater sense of ownership. So maybe a question, and you know, maybe this is, again, working back to that sort of practical response, what's your degree? Asking yourself, what's my degree of ownership of my own faith, of my own life? You know, what are you committed to? And I would make the uh, and here, look, man, you just you're just pulling them out of me here. This is another audacious claim. I think Christians are called. I think human beings are called to be committed to the truth and committed to love. So, because of the trajectory that I've taken, I mean, one of the things that I had to come to terms with was, what if my faith is a lie? Because a lot of people out there think it is. Most of them didn't start off as Christians, perhaps, but some of them did, and now they're not Christians anymore. Most of them. But what I'm getting at is that I think the ultimate commitment that I have is to the truth and to love, not to God. Now, I'm a Christian because I believe that those two things are found chiefly and in some senses in nowhere else than the Christian God. And that's why I came back to Christianity. Because what I realized when I made the move from Christian to agnostic is that I had been living in some ways a lie. 
And I had been adhering to something because it promised me something, not because I thought it was true. And then when the chips came down on the table and the rubber meets the road and I've got to say, hey, man, this is not working for you. This does not work seemingly for anybody. I don't know anybody that could navigate this type of situation with the type of belief set that you've got. I think it's not true what you're believing. Then I had to make a dedication. I had to sort of move away from faith because I was moving to something truer. And I think a lot of atheists hold that view. But that's also why, for instance, I've got a lot in common with my atheist friends because I am very dedicated to the truth. Would I leave my faith again? Yeah, I would. Absolutely. Lost all our listeners. But the reality is I've gone through that. Is something going to happen that's going to show me that something's more true than God? I don't think so. But I'm open to it. And I guess it's that degree of openness to putting everything on the line. Because in the end, I've got nothing. You know, that whole biblical idea, you come into the world with nothing, you leave with nothing. This is the best I've got. This is the best any of us have got. But if we embrace Christianity to the exclusion of everything else, we will exclude the truth too. Let's settle. We can't do it. You know, and then, and then it's a huge process. But, I mean, I backed out of Christianity when I was what? Like 23, 22, and then seven years. And now I've been, I've been, I've been like hitting this hard the whole time. Like I haven't stopped. This is like 20 years of hitting it hard. Plus, and I'll, I don't, you know, it's a lifestyle. I'm not going to give it up now. I'm not going to stop studying and stop doing some of these things. But, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not a model for other people. I'm at one end of the spectrum. Not, not, not everybody who's a Christian should be digging in quite as hard as I am. And I benefit from the fact that some people don't because they're really good at, I don't know, having fun and, and celebrating or, you know, gathering together and, and uh, supporting other people or, you know, gardening or all those other things that, that I, you know, in my dedication and the huge amount of time I pour into some of this stuff, I don't have. But some people, some of the time do need to have this type of dedication and be overt with it, I think. You know, and for the one listener who hung on after I said that. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that that's, that's a, you see, this is, this is part of the problem, I think, is that Christians would say Christ, God comes first and Christianity comes first. And I'd say no. Truth comes first. Love comes first. These things require definitions, you bet. And if you don't have a full definition, then put out your working definition and um, be willing to adhere to these things. Because if you're not, then you're not, you don't stand for them. You know, so what happened with me when I finally in 1999 had all these pieces coming together, truth was all pointing towards Christianity and I had no option. I mean, I could, I could either say, uh, I've chosen not to uh, base my life on truth. I'm going to base my life on lies. And that was not an option. So if I'm going to base my life on truth and all the indicators I have and all the research that I've done and all my best efforts point to Christianity in a different way, in a new way, new understandings, new experiences, then that's the way to go. And it doesn't mean you're fair weather or you're whatever. You know, I think that's ridiculous. That's, that's, that's uh, someone who 
really hasn't spent the time to think about what life is like, who would make a claim that, you know, anyone who's willing to give up their faith is not somebody who should have it or that that's, you know, the wrong orientation. I would say just the opposite. So maybe part of what I'm saying by way of reply to you is I think you need to be willing to give up what you got because it may not be true. And some of the ways you think uh, you're, 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 you're loving people or you're, you're fulfilling uh, the command to love God, maybe just the opposite. Like these four situations I've seen in this small town I live in where this one group of people are ongoingly throwing people under the bus. And it's very sad. This got heavy fast. <laughs> you totally, I was not expecting this. Were you expecting this? No, I had no expectations today. <laughs> oh my gosh. I had very low expectations for today, given my, uh, given the distractions of my, yeah, day and work and all that. So what, I'm curious, though, I keep thinking of this book that you mentioned that Susan was reading that you guys were discussing. What's, what are some of the troubling ideas that you're finding in that book? Well, you know, that's a really, it's interesting. That's a great tie-in because it's, they're great examples well, I find that my response to a, a book on Christianity, when it's, you know, to go back to Wayne's idea of the yuck meter, when my yuck meter is going off, that that meter will be kind of indexed to the degree to which I have done, you know, specialized research in this area. Some of the topics that this book was discussing or was focusing on are topics that I've spent a lot of time doing a lot of academic research on. And I was just gobsmacked that this fellow, um, I'm trying to remember his name. I think it's James Brian Smith. Uh, that he, I'll just say it because I'm so, you can tell how uh, I'm getting a little worked up about it, even just trying to get it out of my mouth. Um, he was talking about the, the notion of narrative and the fact that what, Christians need to do is they need to kind of get inside of or align themselves with or find their identification and identity within God's narrative. And that what we're doing is we are making choices. This is not about, uh, you know, and there's, he, he made a couple of other comments, like there's no such thing as the will. The will is really just, are you making a choice or are you not? Wait, wait, wait. Uh, so far, so the being in, the na- being in God's narrative, that sounds familiar no red flags go up for me there. Okay. Do they for you or like what? I, it depends on <laughs> whether the sentence is done there or <laughs> whether it's not. Um, because here, I'm just going to try and bring up this book. One second. I'm just typing into Amazon. There it is. Top book that comes up. James Brian Smith. Yes, the good and beautiful God falling in love with the God that Jesus knows. Yeah, I think part of the problem is that Christians have this idea that they're supposed to somehow lose themselves in God's story. And, and this kind of has resonances, if you remember, with um, Kyle Eidelman, not a fan, and this idea that we want to have as much of the Holy Spirit as possible, and we want to get out of the way and kind of push ourselves out of the way. We want to shrink down so that there's more room for the Holy Spirit. These things are kind of synonymous. Okay. Okay. So I would say absolutely not at all. The idea that God is not interested in me 
Or the guy, maybe the opposite. God is interested in me, and yet God doesn't want me around. God wants, God loves me, but God wants me to kind of take up less room. Don't, don't, Greg, can you kind of tuck into the corner over here? Oh, and by the way, you know, everything that you thought was important about your story and your life, those things really aren't that important. What you want to do is kind of somehow get yourself into my story. You want to kind of adopt that and take that on. And what I've looked at in my research is that when we do this, we have this, this is, there's this idea of losing oneself. And I think that's precisely not what we are supposed to do. God doesn't love the idea of me. God doesn't love me as a placeholder. God doesn't love me as a puppet or an instrument. God loves me. And when I'm not there to be loved, God's love comes looking for me. When I try to remove myself from the picture in the context of that relationship, that love relationship based on truth, we have a problem. Not just me, but God, because that's not the way it's supposed to be. Now, it's not supposed to be all about me either, right? There's an integration. So when we're talking about, you know, for example, knowledge and experience, Bible and real life, these things go together. They have a way of integrating, and that integration is complex, but because of its complexity, that's not a reason to say that it, it doesn't exist or that it simply is too difficult, right? So, yeah, I was responding in the first bit to some of the comments that the author was making, and he was making comments about narrative and integrating our narrative with God's narrative. And it's, I think it's one thing to make these types of comments. It's another thing to be a professor of theology, as this person is, to have vouched for his long pedigree. He sort of introduces himself in the introduction as the Forrest Gump of Christianity because he has got to know so many people that, you know, that, that on a popular level, most Christians would have heard of. Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Um, there's a popular Christian singer, uh, uh, Dallas Willard, who, you know, I've got, I've, I've, I've read a little bit of his work. But in any event, you know, he puts himself – on the one hand, he claims to be the Forrest Gump of Christianity. But he puts himself across and he states quite clearly in the introduction that, that Richard J. Foster has chosen him as his protege. And for a guy who's, who's, who's creating <laughs> – okay. I'm, I know I'm dead serious. It's, it's this huge pedigree that he's putting out there. And, and, and therefore to, what? Well, therefore what I'm presenting to you is right. And therefore, seemingly, I don't have to back it up with anything. I can talk to you. You know, it's one thing to talk to me about a Bible verse and not put down a whole bunch of, you know, you could kind of give me a paragraph on, uh, I don't know, uh, the Lord's Prayer or, or, or a, a chapter. Cool, right? I'm, I'm not going to expect you to footnote everything you're doing there if it's a popular book, not a scholarly work. But when you're talking about something like narrative that for a lot of people is like, hmm, not really sure about that. What do you mean by that? Um, and you don't give – like, for example, he's giving a whole bunch of information. Then he gives an example about how Peyton Manning uh, prepared for a particular Super Bowl by having his center snap him wet balls. He cites, he cites the, the Sports Illustrated or Time magazine or whatever where this story is held. But he doesn't cite the references that he's making about narrative. And I'm like, man, what are you doing? Well, wait, like, seriously. The, now I'm really curious. So, what is the uh, what's the life application here? Snapping wet footballs. 
<laughs> that Peyton Manning was getting himself accustomed to how to do something. He was planning ahead and he was, I guess, I mean, again, oh. I, I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to. My yuck meters going off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if somebody's listening to this and they've read that book, on the one hand, I want to say, number one, my wife was reading this book at eleven o'clock at night after helping our youngest daughter with her homework and having to have this book read the next morning, and she was already frustrated. And then she came across some of these things, and she was basically reading it to me after a full day. So I haven't read it. I'm I'm more than happy to go back on you know uh, to say that I don't have uh, like the uh, a full picture maybe of what the implications of the snapping of the wet balls was relative to the other points being made but uh, you know and I hope we do get a chance to read this book but yeah my my uh, yuck yuck does not even come close to what I was feeling about this this book because here's this guy who's put out he spent so much time on the one hand saying he's Forrest Gump but on the other hand really acting like somebody who's got this enormous pedigree giving the impression that people should be listening to him talking about complex things as though they're simple giving no footnoting and I'm like man I have done so much work on this and I've only done you know uh, 100,000 words of a master's thesis on some of these subjects but you've done seemingly nothing on this and seemingly there is no reason to offer any substantiation for the points that you're making you're just saying it works like this well no it doesn't work like that you know not not from the research i've done not from the 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 phds who've read my work and said yeah very good well done you have very good points so you know it's misleading so it's claiming to have a degree of uh, eminence on the one hand number two it's not supporting that eminence with evidence of facts it's just saying, here's how things are. And then, you know, here I am having done the work saying, no, 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 this is way wrong. And then he's using this as a springboard to go off. And it's the same thing that we talked about in Not a Fan or maybe in Misunderstood God. If you, if you aim at this compass point, then you're going to go in that direction and you're going to keep going. And if your target is slightly to the left, your target's going to get more and more and more and more and more to the left. It's going to get more and more. You're going to get further and further from it. Right. So I think it was ultimately it was difficult for me because this book was being read in the context of uh, a church study group. And I just thought, man, I can't believe this fellow is being so audacious as to make some of these claims to not substantiate them, to claim that narrative works this way or that we should be doing this as Christians to not be thinking about the implications and and I think the other thing that maybe coming right back to the original starting point is I hope that people are becoming comfortable. Like part of their Christian life should be com- becoming comfortable with diversity. And I don't mean like, you know, you're eating different foods. I mean you're becoming comfortable with a number of different viewpoints on subjects related to your faith. You may not agree with them. You know, like I, for example, don't agree at all. I, I think I'm going to have a very hard time agreeing with some of this with what James Bryan Smith is saying. The, the big rub for me, the big kind of uh, uh, thing that's sticking in my craw is that he is very, very subtle. It's not obvious. It's not like not a fan where your yuck meter was going off. I mean, I'll be interested to know when you read that book, which I hope you will, what you think of it. And when, you know, this, is, this is fascinating. I got to tell you this. So my spouse is in the meeting with the other women and everybody is talking about the book and she stops and she says, you know, I, my spouse says, stops and says, I had a really hard time with this. 
And she just focused on one simple thing. She said, this book makes everything seem easy. It tells me that if I want to change, and the book is all about changing, right? The good and beautiful God falling in love with the God that Jesus knows. And he starts off and he's like, this book is for those who want to change. And you know, that's such a huge theme in Christianity. People want to change. They want to be better. They want to improve. And she said, throughout the book, I counted the number of times he made references to easy or simple or straightforward or he just explained it and said, this all could be yours with these few steps. And she said he, and she, she told him how many times she counted them up. And she said, I'm having a really hard time with this book because I think he's just making things out to be a way that they're not. They're not that easy. It's not like this. Real life doesn't match up with this book. And the women were astounded and everybody said to her, to a one, I had no idea. I, I didn't even notice that actually, that it, this was done so uh, repetitively. It's peppered all through the book. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make is being, being attentive and being willing to take other perspectives and to allow them to become real possibilities for you, even if you don't like it. I don't like this book, but I'm going to read it. I think I need to engage with it. But if I hadn't done some of the other work I've done by engaging with some of these ideas, I would sort of, I don't know what I would do, you know? I would, I would, I would maybe have a response to the book or I'd maybe just take it in. So the takeaway here is what? Well, I think it's super hard. I think we're touching on something, you know, you and I both came into today with, kind of frazzled. <laughs> kind of frazzled. I think our, this podcast began with our, our days being kind of frazzled and not really having some sort of a clear burning focus for today's podcast. But I, th- I, think, I think we have to, be, have to understand these things are tough. They are extremely tough, right? I believe there's a culture out there which is leading people to think in a very homogenous way leading them not to engage, not to get second opinions, not to kind of think about stuff that it cuts against the grain of their beliefs. And I don't mean just kind of think about it like to refute it, but think about why, you know, why would somebody be saying some of these things? You know, why is this guy saying that? Well, it's very appealing to think that it's easy to change because a lot of people want change. Thinner, bigger, smarter, prettier, you know, or with Christians, yeah, I want my, my relationship with God to be more fulfilling or whatever. I don't think it's, I don't think it sounds good to offer these kinds of answers, but I think it sounds right. I think it sounds realistic. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts or questions on this episode, so leave a comment at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 85. We also invite you to join our private Facebook group. To receive an invitation, send an email to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com and tell us your biggest need or problem when it comes to Christianity. We'll get an invitation right out to you. 
Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>